Okay, so for today's gratitude entry, I am grateful for attending in Basla this past April. Y'all, I met so many amazing, amazing, phenomenal souls that are just, they truly want to pour good into this world. And today's guest, uh, Lauren Hastings, is one of those amazing colleagues that is truly giving so freely of her time on so many different fronts. So I am grateful for Embasla 2023 and looking forward to Embasla 2024, of which Lauren is one of the convention co-chairs. So I'm plugging it right now. Y'all please come April 11th through 13th, 2024 for the essence of Embasla in Raleigh, North Carolina. I would love to see you there. So Thank you, and Basla and Lauren. Thank you to you and your convention co-chair. And I can't wait to see this year's. So yay. All right. Enjoy, y'all. Hi, folks, and welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional a speech therapy podcast sponsored by speechtherapypd.com. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MS, CCC, SLP, CLC, the all things PEDS SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, here in Town, South Carolina, and I guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically complex and fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light, hope, knowledge, and joy to the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate. By way of a nerdy conversation, so there's plenty of laughter too. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, ethics on how to run a private practice, pediatric dysphagia to clinical supervision, and all other topics in the world of pediatric speech pathology. Our goal is to bring evidence-based practice straight to you by interviewing subject matter experts to break down the communication barriers so that we can access the knowledge of their fields, or as a close friend says, to build the bridge. By bringing other professionals and experts in our field together, we hope to spark advocacy joy and passion for continuing to grow and advance care for our little ones. Every fourth episode, I join in. I'm Erin Forward, MSP, CCC, SLP, the Yankee byway of Rochester, New York transplant who actually inspired this journey. I bring a different perspective, that of a newish clinician with experience in early intervention, pediatric acute care, and nonprofit pediatric outpatient settings. So sit back, relax, and watch out for all our squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Hey, this is Michelle Dawson, and I need to update my disclosure statements. So my non-financial disclosures. I actively volunteer with Feeding Matters, National Foundation of Swallowing Disorders, NFOSD, Dysphagia Outreach Project, DOP. I am a former treasurer with the Council of State Association Presidents, CSAP, a past president of the South Carolina Speech-Language and Hearing Association, SCISHA, 
a current Board of Trustees member with the Communication Disorders Foundation of Virginia, and I am a current member of ASHA, ASHA SIG-13, SCISHA, the Speech-Language Hearing Association of Virginia, SHAB, a member of the National Black Speech-Language Hearing Association in Basla, and Dysphasia Research Society, DRS. Additionally, I volunteer with ASHA as the topic chair for the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Planning Committee for the ASHA 2023 convention in Boston, and I hope you make it out there. My financial disclosures include receiving compensation for First Bite Podcast from SpeechTherapyPD.com as well as from additional webinars and for webinars associated with Understanding Dysphagia, which is also a podcast with SpeechTherapyPD.com. And I currently receive a salary from the University of South Carolina in my work as adjunct professor and student services coordinator. And I receive royalties from the sale of my book, Chasing the Swallow Truth, Science and Hope for Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing Disorders, as well as compensation for the CEUs associated with it from speechtherapypd.com. So those are my current disclosure statements. Thanks, guys. The views and opinions expressed in today's podcast do not reflect the organizations associated with the speakers and are their views and opinions solely. Okay, everybody, I am tickled pink that we have today's guest. We have none other than Lauren Hastings. And if you don't know her, oh my goodness, by the end of this hour, you will know her. And then you will know why I'm so stupid, giddy, excited that she's coming on. So I met Lauren, I think in person, officially at Embosla. But I feel like we had known each other through like I met you at a booth. At Asha, yeah. I played it. I have the video on. I should send it to you. I have the video <laughs> on my phone where I was rolling the dice. You remember that? Yes, that was in speech therapy PD. It was their booth. Right? No, Orlando. LA? I think it was Orlando. Okay, it might be Orlando. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking that th- that's been a minute. Yeah. We just aged ourselves, <laughs> but yes. So her and I really got to know each other in Basla in D.C. this past mm-hmm. April mm-hmm. for the, is it the 45th anniversary? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. 45th anniversary. And y'all, I love her. Her energy is just, it's, I used to say infectious, but post-COVID you can't say infectious, but it's like exuberant because it's just, it. You know, there's people that walk in a room and they just light it up from within and you just, you want to be around that. And that's you. Okay. So now let me tell you the amazing things that this woman does. Her craft, her specialty or her Monday through Friday is helping other women set up their own private practices and men. Don't we? We'll, we'll include the men folk too. And some OTs in there too. So, <laughs> but she she helps us on that leap of faith when we want to get credentialed, when we want to battle insurances, when you are ready to step out and do it on your own, which can be one of the scariest, most vulnerable moments. However. She also pays it forward. She ties with her time. So this coming 2024, she is the Embosla Convention co-chair, or no, chair yeah, in 2024. Mm-hmm. 
Convention co-chair. And it is in Winston-Salem. Raleigh, Raleigh, oh. Raleigh. I'm sorry, Raleigh. North Carolina. <laughs> Raleigh. I mean, sorry, North Carolina. Yeah. I, map. I, I have a map in a frame to go in my office, but but um, in Raleigh, North Carolina. But also, she served on the topic committee for language disorders in the infant toddler preschool age for ASHA Convention for 2023, as well as is a coordinating. Uh, She's on the coordinating committee for SIG-1. And I don't really know what SIG-1 coordinates. It is language, learning, and education. So it's very broad. We're actually the second or third largest SIG. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I know SIG-13 and SIG-12. SIG-12 is AAC. SIG-13 is dysphagia. And I still think they should divide SIG-13 from dysphagia to PFD. And we should have a whole separate SIG for PFD because it's so different from dysphagia. But like add that to the dream to-do list for 2024 because 23 is, we can put no extra big ideas on it. But y'all, she is amazing and she is phenomenal. Oh, oh my God. And you co-host Spill the Tea with the other Lauren. Yes. (laughs) It's, it's called speech tea. I love oh, oh man, I'm so I got so excited. It it's you were close enough. Yes, speech tea podcast with the Lawrence. We are on the road of almost celebrating our fiftieth episode. Nice. We are up to oh I don't know three or four thousand downloads. I think something like that. So, and we're turning three in August. So, Yay. we came up with it during COVID. We just took our conversations that we normally have and disagreements to the airways. <laughs> um, so, yeah. That's beautiful. See, that's there's good things that came out of COVID. If we, yeah. we just have to choose to focus on the joy. That's yeah. my thought process. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, as with all things, take me from the beginning. What made you want to be a speech pathologist? Ooh, I'm Ooh. one of those rare people that knew since high school. So in high school, I taught myself sign language and I used to sign to music at church and school. Awesome. But no shade to the interpreters. And now I kind of regret it. I was like, well, I just don't want to just be an interpreter. And now it just hit me why I said that. So I was raised in a single parent home. And so, you know, when you raise in a single parent home, it's all about getting that education degree and make money so you can be better than than what we are. Right. And so my mother, I was raised by my mother and her two sisters. They did not finish college. So in being a sign language interpreter wouldn't have held up in my household. (laughs) So I went to a college fair. You know how they do when you're in high school at those college fairs? They're like, oh, what's your hobbies? What's your, you know, whatever, whatever. And I actually was at a college fair where Loma Linda University was at. And I walked up to the table and and I told her that I love sign language. And she was like, you should look into speech language pathology. I was like, what's that? Because, of course, you know, let's, let's be honest, as a black person in the South, you don't hear about that uh, field. And so she told me about it, gave me the pamphlet for the major. I went home and I read it and I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And so (laughs) (laughs) I 
And and so I just followed that and got my undergrad in speech language pathology and audiology at Andrews University. And then I went on to Tennessee State University and got my master's. So I, I know most people, they hear stories about like, oh, I started in this profession and switched over. Like I literally knew my since my senior year in high school, that is what I wanted to do. So that's how I, I got into it. We, My youngest brother was born with a cleft lip, mm-hmm. not a palate. It was just a lip. Yeah, and then lovely. my stepmom got electrocuted when she was pregnant. Seven months pregnant, she was changing the the flippity part of the light switch. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that flippity part's called, but you know yeah. what mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah. What What is that? that? What's the, is that circumlocution? Is that the strategy that they talk about for aphasia? Like how you just, whatever. Anyways. Yeah. So, I see the challenge you're trying to make. <laughs> I'm like, that's fine, you know? But she, um, she got electrocuted and then he was born with dysarthria because of like mild electric. So he didn't talk till he was four. And so he went to a speech therapist and it wasn't apraxia, it was dysarthria. And so I was 12, 13 mm-hmm. and I knew, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And then I saw my very first swallow study in undergrad and was like, that is what I want to do. And then I got out and graduated and was like, oh, I don't actually necessarily want to work in a hospital doing that, but like, I want to do that. And yeah. also... Adult boogers are really gross and very large. So I didn't want to work with the adults, especially Mm -hmm. when you have to like action and change things. Also, my grandparents like helped raise me. So I would hug all the old people. This is frowned upon in a professional setting. You can't hug everybody. So, but Pete's feeding, man. Yeah. I mean, I have a similar story when it comes to like going into Pete's because Unfortunately, I've experienced a lot of death in my family. And so for me, being around older people was just like a no. Like I even Mm -hmm. get up. I used to get internally upset (laughs) when I saw my friends like disrespect their grandparents because I'm Mm -hmm. like, you have them. I don't. Right. And oh, I prayed my way through my medical because I was at a skilled nursing facility and my prayer. I'll never forget my first day I pulled in the parking lot and I said, God, I know death might happen. I just need it not to happen when I'm here. That's all I ask is that if any of my patients die, I just, I I don't need to be here. Literally the few that I had passed away, either passed away that evening or passed away on the weekend. Mm, and Grace. I was paired with the perfect person because she left the school system because she had struggles getting pregnant. So she never had kids. Mm-hmm. So she went in and worked with adults. And then my story about not wanting to be with adults because of, you know, not only my own grandparents, but people I considered my adoptive grandparents have been sick yeah. and gone through strokes. And you want to hug on them. I get mad when they don't get visitors. Right. So because whatever Mm -hmm. I just and again, my experience, I feel like regardless if they are alive, you need to go visit your relatives. That's just how I feel. And so we kind of helped each other because the facility wanted to do some outpatient and she started getting a few kids. And at first she was like, I can't do it. And Mm. I just through our connection, the few months, she felt empowered that she could 
started seeing kids because you know I wasn't gonna be there forever. <laughs> so um, <laughs> and we literally got a kid a month before I left. <laughs> so it was just like, you, know, <laughs> you gotta do this, sis. Like, <laughs> I, 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 do we need to pray together? What can we do? Like, what get we got? So, but I made her feel like. Listen, if I can power through this, right? Because yes, I saw people in my life who had either passed away or had illnesses in my patients. So I told her, I was like, if I can power through this, you can too. And so, but I still, to your point, adults, I was tired of walking in the room and explaining while I was there, explaining my profession. I was like, I can't do this every day. Because they will hear speech and they're like, I don't need speech. And I'm just like, how can y'all do this every day? Like, I can't. Like, I can't. I can't. And then I didn't like, now I'm about to go into my passion with insurance and stuff. Now that I know what I know, I really hated that PT got more visits than we did. That really, like, can I say pissed me off? Like, that really (laughs) turned my gears. And now that I know more about insurance, I'm just like... Why is it that the government, because this is a government thing, because they're they're separate from us, right? Mm-hmm. When it comes to insurance, everyone has their own. Well, take it back. No, 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 no. We have our own, but I think PT, is it PT and OT share or is it share. OT and SOP share? I think PT and OT, PT share. And OT they share. Have, but they have more money. They get more money. And so I yes. will never forget. It was this guy. He couldn't even tell you his room number. But he was over there doing his little up and down walking steps exercises with the PT. And I'm just like, and we only get him for four weeks, but they get him for like three months. That's, um, Mm -hmm. I just, it just, I mean, and it's so crazy because now when I see the emails from Asha about Medicare, I'm like, that's why I ain't work with adults. (laughs) (laughs) For that reason. Because this is why... No, this is why I didn't want to credential myself or deal with the insurance when I had my private practice because I would stay angry and God gave me, oh my Lord, my family has a deep righteous anger. We can get our IRA up and, and I mean, it, it, I will run so hot. I will literally flush if I don't check it. Right. And I'm doing it now. Like I can feel the temperature in my cheeks rising, but like that's, oh, but I couldn't be there doing it mm-hmm. while, because when I set up Heartwood, which honestly, it's really cool. It's our family tree. Our family tree, like our family was my tattoo. And so I used my tattoo for my private practice logo, which like nobody knew. <laughs> so like it was just whatever. I thought that was really cool. But I did put hearts, I put little hearts in it. But anyway, this is why I love you. <laughs> I think I have crazy stories. I think you you might have me beat. Like I, I oh no, that was also that was that was I was your the, family the, didn't know you had a tattoo. Well, they did after I got divorced. (laughs) Okay, so my ex-husband was very violent and beat the hell out of me. And I'm alive because I took the bullets out of the gun one night or I would not be here. And I always use that in my testimony because Mm -hmm. I love Jesus and I cuss like a sailor. And those are my unofficial disclosure statements. Mm -hmm. But I got so hot, I had to take my sweater off. But I... uh, 
in the process of going through my divorce and before I met my husband, there was a really great Irish bartender and he was really good friends with the tattoo guy. So that's how I got the tattoo. And then a few years later, turned it into a business logo. Guys, that might not be the best business strategy. It worked for me. It for you. I'm going to have to go look up your logo because that is what After recording, I will I will show – I have my microphone off screen. I figure she's no idea why I'm looking this way. But, like, yeah, I'll have to – um, We got the same one. We got the same – we're microphone sisters. It's a Yeti. <laughs> Y'all, the microphone has an interesting shape. And when I first pulled it out of a box, my yes. husband looked at me and said, did I have concerns? <laughs> I was like, we're going to flip it up and down. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Y'all supposed you to be guys- Asha CEUs after this. Okay, let's be. Yes, I was going to say, I just need y'all to hurry up now and sign up for Embosla 2024 because <laughs> it's like three days of this and it's amazing. Okay. So, anyways, where were we? Credentialing? I don't know. No, Ira. So, see, I chased my noodle all the way back, but yeah. I would get so frustrated when I was independent contracting for these other women with like, they were like, Oh, you can't code this. You can't do this. Don't tell me how to code because what I'm coding are two different CPT codes. Mm -hmm. I can't code feeding and swallowing under 92507 because that's not, that's language. 92526 is feeding and swallowing. However, in South Carolina, the reimbursement rates were less. So they were paying me the same rate and I was making less money and I'm like this, but what you're asking me to do is compromise my code of ethics and my license and I will do this not. So let me tell you, let me add to that though. You can build them together. The problem is you get less visits is at least with straight Medicaid. So in Georgia, straight Medicaid allows eight visits a month. So if I bill 92507 and I don't know what as quick as you, but the, 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 if I bill it together, they consider that two visits, even though but it's, it's not. It's one visit. You're but you just get paid exercising more. the top of your license. Okay. Well, then we'd be screwed because I would add in AAC and be working on and, – and, but like I would because my babies need all the yeah. things, right? Yeah. That's yeah. why you call me. So long story short, I got done and fed up with being told what I couldn't do, what they didn't want me to do. They and explain to you why though? Oh, no, because they probably didn't even know why. You just hit the nail on the head, ma'am. So anywho. <laughs> they just probably know we get paid less. But I, I'm really big on people understanding why. Yes. So, yeah. But they, they, they could not. So what I did was I reached out to Andy Larry, who's the South Carolina, or was at the time, star representative. She just retired. Mm-hmm. Okay. From like practicing and Mm -hmm. stepping down from that. Okay, folks, if you are listening, this is where we're going to put in a call for action. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because we're all about that. Right. If you are upset about your reimbursement rate. Yes. You cannot go on social media and vent that Asha's not doing more to get your reimbursement rate addressed because it is not Asha's responsibility at the state level. It is your state association's responsibility to advocate at a state level. ASHA can advocate at a federal level. However, states versus federal rights, which is a whole conversation. slither into that that state? Yes, come in, come in. So to add to that, every state 
has their own budget, has their own allotment. Yes. So just like, should I throw out numbers? So (laughs) yes, should I throw out numbers? So like in Georgia, I will be transparent and say our reimbursement rate is $60, but I know in South Carolina, 92507, I think it's like $90, right? 99.24 is like 25, right? So what? Yeah. How do you make a living? I I don't even remember her name. So it's probably a blessing, but it was someone who signed up for a coaching call with me. Actually, it was she and her husband because her husband was going to do the billing. And they were asking me because I I always tell people when they talk to me, I always ask them, do you know your Medicaid rate? Right. Because that is really your guiding light when you're setting your rates, in my opinion, because all the insurances kind of align with the Medicaid rate. So it's kind of important for you to find out what your Medicaid rate is for your state. And so, yeah, when she said, tw- I said, is that with modifiers? <laughs> um, I was like, are you sure? She was like, and, and I Googled it while we were on the phone. And, and sure enough, I saw like $25, $27. But to Michelle's point, because someone tagged me into something recently, I think it was Ohio, because I think theirs was like $30. They did the right thing. They went through their state association. But their state association wasn't really helping move the dial. So they have come together as a group and they're going to go to the, to the state themselves. But yes. like Michelle said, there. let me tell you, every state, and Michelle can correct me since she was president of South Carolina uh, for a minute. <laughs> I know for Georgia, they pay a lobbyist. Like they have people who go on our behalf to try to get an increase because we try to get an increase but our lovely governor it literally everybody said yes 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 got to the governor he shut it down because we want to pay increase i mean 60 is good but you know 70 75 would be great or more so so yeah so go to your state association first i will also add too if you have questions about anything especially about codes reimbursement at asha.org. I had the lovely pleasure of sitting on the healthcare committee meeting right before ASHA began that Wednesday before ASHA started this past year in New Orleans. And I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but then I felt like I was blessed to be the chosen one because I was next to one of the people that work at ASHA who helps write CPT codes. And I was like, okay Jesus I don't know what you're doing but I'm here for it and so it was her I forgot even forgot her name but we were sitting there oh side note Michelle don't know if you know this there's like a whole slew of new pediatric dysphagia codes that are coming out next year this year, yes this year and then they were talking about some specific like dysphagia codes that are coming out so they we were having conversations about like what's happening so it was her and I forgot the uh, the guy's name, but I went up to them because I was like low key, not trying to like make myself known, but I was just like, <laughs> I'm out here trying to help people in this area, you know, and you know, there's a group of people that think Asha doesn't do anything, but reimbursement at Asha.org. I was told at that meeting that goes to four different people. <laughs> and literally, guys, this is what they do all day, every yeah. day. And I know the website can be a little hard to navigate, but 
reimbursement at asha.org is going to be your best bet. I, I say that in my coaching calls. I, I say it in my presentations. I say it in my courses. Use them because I don't have all the answers. I'm just trying to make it more palatable for you to understand. But they, this is what they do. So I'm hoping this year I get to <laughs> go through that committee meeting again because what they did was they wanted representation from each SIG. And I was the only one in there that was kind of keeping up because everybody else is just either like, you know, a professor or, you know, some type of admin and they weren't really into insurance like that. So I was following along, you know, and so and then we had some other cool people that were there in like the insurance realm. I forgot what their position was, but I was in my element. I was sitting there eating it all up. But even though I don't have time, like I told one of my colleagues, I was like, I need to get on that committee. They were like, but Lauren, you do a lot. I was like, I know. So I need to, but I, I can put that yeah. as like a goal because. Yeah. 2024, claim it for 2024 yeah. because this is, but this, but folks that, oh, so many thoughts, Lauren, so many thoughts. This is, my ADHD just went like four <laughs> But like, this is the stuff one we're not taught in grad school. Right. Grad school. Right. Which and, I hope and changes learn. really soon. I really hope yes. whoever sits on whatever board just we need to have some type of business. Not so that to be insurance, but a business class worked into so, our curriculum for sure. So we okay, so professor hat. Wearing my professor hat, one, yes, we have to adhere to the Asha Big Nine, right? right like we right, have right. to get the concept of the Asha Big Nine built in. But this is where within our clinic classes, we can embed this in our clinic classes mm-hmm. because you have students who are going to go out and they're going to be responsible for billing. And a lot of, and you said it earlier, a lot of professors don't necessarily bill. They do the research to yes. propel the field forward. They do- yeah that component, but they may not be in touch with like the clinical aspect, right? However, if you're a professor and you're involved with the clinic, Mm -hmm. or if you are an external clinical supervisor, the onus is on us to make sure that wearing those hats, Mm -hmm. we actually teach the students how to do the code. Now they're not allowed to sign the line for like final bill submission, but there's still an opportunity to learn from someone who's committing fraud. That that's really, that's because there are people out here. I need to start looking up stories and posting them on my social media. Maybe I should do that, but there are SOPs that are getting locked up. There are SOPs out here who are getting Uh major fines. Like I, I had medically fragile kids on my caseload when I was in Atlanta and, you know, nurses talk, you know how they always say paras talk in the school system. Well, nurses talk, especially when you have these medical fragile kids. And she was just like, do you go? And she listed like a suburb that was way far. I was like, no, I don't go that far. She was like, well, you know, that kiddo had an SOP. And then all of a sudden she stopped coming, come to find out she she got into some trouble <laughs> and she's no longer SLP. And I was like, like this stuff is happening. And so my fear for students, and this is why it was so funny. I have friends who are like, you, 
you're going to make it into the school system. If anybody else, not school system, you're going to make it on the university level in, in speaking because, oh, at ASHA, at my presentation, I was talking about different streams of revenue, of income. And they were like, that's going to be your other stream of income. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> so, oh, I know what it was. I was telling people in my session that you are pigeonholing yourself when you're just like, I'm just going to do private pay. And I was using some of my favorite things like uh, Target. I said, Target has multiple streams of income. You have the Target that has uh, Starbucks in it, you know, you Mm -hmm. have like that Target. Right, right. And so I also used, I pay homage to Slutty Vegan because, yes, I was there before restaurants and I used to stand in line. Wait, 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 wait. What? No, take it back. What? It's called Slutty Vegan. I'm not going to go into the names of the burgers because, you know, I was just professing the Lord and I don't want people to think I'm like, (laughs) but I will say one of her burgers is called One Night Stand and I'll leave it at that. So Slutty Vegan, I I love her story, but I was telling people that now that she has locations, she didn't get rid of her food truck. Nice. So she has a food truck. She has her locations. She has merch if anybody doesn't know what that means that's like you know t-shirts and cups and stuff like that mm-hmm. so i was like every business yes <laughs> every business that you see has multiple streams of income so as a private practice why would you just say i'm just gonna do private pay i'll use my wonderful colleague and business bestie uh, ebony green you know she has her practice so she has an office but she also has home health, meaning that some of her her therapist goes in, in the homes. And then she has school contracts. That's three streams of income. Every business, when you look around, has more than one stream of income. So why pigeonhole yourself to say, I'm just going to do private pay? And to be honest, as a private practice, you are a service to your community. Mm-hmm. Just like your pediatrician is a service to your community. Unless they're, you know, housed in a hospital, you are a service to the community. So if your community is private pay, by all means, go forth and be great. But that's not every community. So some people pick the community that they live in. Some people might go to another side of town, whatever you your heart tells you to do. But just know that you are a service to your community. And so... Yes. You need to find out what your community needs. It's almost like research. You need to find out what your community needs so that you can decide which one you want to do. And I tell, look, when people talk to me, it's like the burden just got lifted. I'm like, you don't have to be an insurance provider for everybody. I know someone right now who's a school SLP. She only takes straight Medicaid because she wants to see some kids at the school sees kids after school and make some side money. That's it. Mm-hmm. She doesn't take a mayor group. She doesn't take care source. She only takes straight Medicaid because the billing is easy and she don't have to worry about doing authorizations. So, cause I had, I had one negative comment in ever since I started my coaching business. I'll never forget it. This lady on Instagram was like, if you're promoting private practice, we're not going to have any school SLPs. I said, I'm not. 
I'm not promoting private practice. But those two things are not equal. Not. Those, First those- of all, can can I say we're probably not going to have a lot of SOPs in the school system anyway, just because of the pay. But that's another story for a different day. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. I really think, side note, I will finish that statement. I think in the next five or 10 years, every school district across the U.S. will either be infiltrated by uh, contract companies or you're going to get some smart SOPs, which there are a lot now. I've, I've been hearing a lot of people starting to do it, which I think they've been doing it in rural areas. Areas They're going to contract themselves out. <laughs> I don't I don't think there's going to be a lot of straight higher SOPs in the next five to years, but that's neither here nor there. So, but I told her, I said, I'm not I'm not promoting everyone to have a private practice. I'm ha- I'm promoting everyone to have a skill set. So you didn't ask this earlier, but I, I'm just going to lead with what made me go into private practice. I thought I was going to be a school-based SOP. I thought I was just going to be one of them, one of them people that's going to retire about 50, 60 in the school. <laughs> it just, that was going to be my story. But my dad, who which I told you I was raised by my mother, got sick and, well, he had a lot of health issues. And my sister and I had to move him back to Atlanta. And my sister works a corporate job. And we knew he had, I think we knew he was a diabetic, but we didn't know everything else. And so, of course, when he gets here and we get him set up with a PCP, I'm like, oh, you got what? And so, and before we moved him from Florida, they were trying to put him on dialysis. And that's actually what catapulted our decision because our mom was on dialysis before she passed away. And we were just like, you, you gonna die because you older and dialysis is going to take you out. So I hate to be so straightforward, but that's just me. So um, we moved him to Atlanta. So he went from having a PCP to now cardiologist and now podiatrist and and they wanted to see him every few weeks. So I literally had to call. I was working for Salian at the time and I had to call them. Actually, I called the school district first that I was working for in Atlanta. And I was like, I I can't. I I can't. I know they said they will work with me, but literally when you have four doctors wanting to see a person every two to four weeks, (laughs) I was like, that's going to get old, right? That's going to get old. And so I ended up finding a job at an outpatient clinic who hired me before they had the demand. They hired, they did it backwards. You're supposed to get the demand and then hire the person. (laughs) But they thought if they hired the person, the demand would come. And so that didn't last that long. It only lasted a couple months. And then I found a private practice and I told her, I said, I'm only going to work with you for a year full time. And then year two, I'm going to work with you part time while I build my own. And she was supposed to train me. She did not. So she did not have a full load. So for me, so in my downtime, I started applying for my Medicaid application by myself and and Mm -hmm. failed several times. It took from like October, November to like March for me to get approved. And not because they were slow. It was just because I kept there was like always this one thing wrong with my application. And if you fix it in a certain window, they just like deny you. This is in Georgia. I don't know how it is in any other state. And you just got to start over. So I I started that thing over about three, four times. And so 
the lady, when I parted ways with her, was very nice. She gave me three clients because she was on one side of town and those three clients lived on my side of town. So I started my Mm -hmm. practice in June of 2016 with three clients. And by December, I had 20. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I always tell people, and I didn't even have all the insurances by then. I just had Medicaid and all the CMOs up under that one by then. And then I got like Blue Cross Blue Shield later. I had TRICARE, but I was one of those crazies, which you're not going to be surprised. I didn't want to, because I know not, you can't trust everybody on these streets. And that's why I talk against all these Facebook groups, because I just see so, so much misinformation. People do, do not go to Facebook as the trusted source Mm -hmm. or the Instagram or the tick of the talks (laughs) for the information on what, how to do these things. You need to find there are trusted vetted sources. Yeah. Trust but verify. And where are the references? Yeah. Yeah. And so I was the crazy to say, I'm not going to listen to people. I'm going to sign up for all the insurances. I want to see if the reimbursement rate is bad Mm -hmm. or not conducive for me. And that's what I did. Mm -hmm. And so I was credentialed. Actually, I'm still credentialed. I'm still in the process of Ending my contracts. Oh, no, no shit. Pray for me. <laughs> so a lot has happened in a year. So I was credentialed for all the insurances except Cigna and Kaiser. Okay. So I did all of them myself, by myself. And I wanted to see what the reimbursement rate was because where I was, where I lived in Atlanta was the south side of Atlanta, super close to the airport. It's predominantly black, but it's a mixture. So it's it's one of those communities where you go down this street, it's, you know, kind of low income, but then you turn on this other street and you see like 200, 300, 400, $1,000 homes, right? So it's a mixture. And so that's why I wanted to get Blue Cross Blue Shield and Aetna United because I know there are some corporations that, you know, working class people ha- get, right? Or mm-hmm. I would say middle, middle class, upper middle class, whatever. And so that's why I wanted to see what the commercial ones look like. But yeah, that's what I did. I, I, and then if I didn't like it, y'all, guess what? This is not like an apartment lease. You could just hit them up and say, I want to end my contract. Like, I I think a lot of people don't know that. Like, when you sign up to be a provider for insurance, it is not like a lease. You can end that thing whenever. (laughs) So, I mean, double check and look. But all the... I have... I will say this. I am still a provider for... United and Aetna, because I haven't called them yet. But a lot of them will kick you out if you haven't, or put you as inactive if you haven't billed within 12 months. So that's why I'm dragging my feet, because I really just want them to do it themselves, but I still have to reach out. And that's another thing you should know too. If you just, if you end up moving states or decide, hey, I don't want to do this insurance anymore, you have to reach out to them. I closed my practice last September, I can't believe it's about to be a year, because I moved to start a PhD program and I just didn't, I felt like learning a new state and how they do things. I, my brain, I, I just wanted to leave that extra space for school. <laughs> so 
So there are some insurances. I'm still slowly reaching out to them saying, hey, please, you know, basically take me off your list. Because two, shameless plug, when you do not call them, you are messing it up for someone else. And this is why. When you hear people say, oh, I call Blue Cross Blue Shield, but they said their panel is closed or they're saying there, there are too many providers in my area. That's because if someone had closed their practice or decided not to take their insurance anymore, they have not contacted the insurance. So they're still active on their roster. You're one of those people. I'm, I'm one of those people because I didn't know that was a thing. Oh my God, I'm a terrible human. No, I, a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people think, oh, if I don't bill, they'll just like take me off the list. I would not doubt if you go on their website and look up SLP providers, your name is probably still there, even though you probably haven't billed. Well, I know my CAQH has expired. Yeah. Wait, okay. You want me to explain that? Yes. Okay. So, okay. So backtrack for those of you that are like me that are like, these are very difficult and confusing things. I contracted a lady to do all of this. Our Asha star did all of this for me. Andy did it. Mm -hmm. But, and then Asha star is the state representative to the national association Mm -hmm. on private practice and Medicaid. No, I said private insurance. Pardon? I didn't know that's what star meant. Those star yes. I've heard of them. I just didn't yes. know what their so role was. Each each state association, you're right. They should pay for a lobbyist. There's some that don't have a lobbyist, which is terrifying in a whole nother conversation, but that has to do with the state budget and that's right. our state. But right. they all have a star or a stamp or a smack. I think smack might have been renamed because that's just funny. But like <laughs> one is the school's representative on best practice. One mm-hmm. is the private practice Medicaid and one is the Medicare okay. and they liaison between ASHA and the individual states. So that way there's like a constant stream, right. but Andy did mine. Mm-hmm. And I remember when, so I moved to South Carolina coming from a hospital where I did inpatient outpatient peds through adults. God mm-hmm. help me. That was my CF and my second year working. So like that was two years. Mm-hmm. Then I got an early intervention and I found out the first person didn't have me credentialed and was billing under all my stuff through her. Didn't know about that. Oh yeah. So then I went to the second lady. That was only a couple of months. Thank you, Lord. But went to the second lady and she started getting me in as a 1099 mm-hmm. to her. Um, but I still wasn't in network with everybody. But she set up the CAQH with her passwords and her logins and did it. And I didn't know there was something called a CAQH until Andy. And Andy was like, so we're going to take all of this from the top and bless her stars. Because had she not mentored me, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have known. Yep. But yep. like, yeah, I mean, yeah. she took, she took her pay out from everything. Yeah. I mean, I paid her for it. Yeah. It wasn't like a for free thing because mentorship of that kind does need to be paid in my humble opinion. Like that is work. Right. Yeah. And yeah. that's yeah. yes. But I still don't really know what is CAQH. Okay. I, also I, heard you. Attack. I can yeah. tell you like a minute flat. So. When it comes to Medicaid, most Medicaid departments in whatever state you pick, 
they have their own credentialing department. So credentialing basically means when you hear people say, I got to get credential, I got to get credential. That basically means you turn your stuff in. And so I won't give you some tea, y'all. Selena tea, right? I won't give you some tea. Love um, it. Love it. Get applying to become an insurance provider. You don't need like a lot. <laughs> you really just need your liability insurance, your state license, the application. That's basically it. I feel like I might be leaving something out, but that's basically and and any extra forms that that state has attached to that. It it might be, I don't know. They just have some really dumb forms. It's just just. Wait. I, all you have to do is sign it. But when you say state license, you don't mean like voter registration or driver's license. You mean your state SLP license. Your state SLP license. That's okay. all you just need. Not ASHA, not your ASHA, ASHA C's. You just need your state SLP license, liability insurance, of course, business name. That's what I was missing. Business name, all that stuff, because you want to apply as a group and not as an individual because life be life in. And I always use my dad's story in, in all of my presentations and courses because unfortunately, I didn't say this part, but my dad ended up passing away like a year or two later. And I'm just glad I had that skill set to pivot and be there for him and to mend our relationship or at least attempt to <laughs> during that time. And so I'm so passionate about people knowing this process for themselves because life be lifing. Okay. Can I just, you know, put my little A yeah. in there? Life be lifing. And, and you just, I just want people to have this in their back pocket. So if anything, God forbid, happens to you or your spouse or partner or someone that's a really close relative, you're able to pivot and make a life for yourself and not being and not have to choose between family and your career. So anyway, let me go back. See, my ADD is kicking in. So... So I of all people understand. <laughs> so, I tell people, if you can follow me in conversation, we're friends for life. So, yes. so Medicaid has their their people, their inside people who so credentialing is just checking to make sure your license is active, even though you might give them a copy, they still have to verify that, right? And so they're basically verifying everything on your application. Well, when it comes to like commercial insurances, they do not have a credentialing department. So that's where CAQH comes in. So I tell people, because Facebook, here we go. Everyone's like, I don't have a CAQH. People always tell me that. I'm like, do you plan on taking like Blue Cross Blue Shield, TRICARE, like Kaiser? Do you plan on taking those? I don't think so. Then you don't need one. You don't need one. Now, is it good to have one? Absolutely. But if you don't plan on taking those commercial insurances, and I know certain states, um, a mayor group, I believe, might use CAQH. But rarely, when it comes to Medicaid and CMOs, you don't need CAQH because they credential you through their in-house people. So CAQH, though, because times have changed, like you said before, with the students now, because I talked to a actually two classes, but one in particular at Purdue about insurance billing. And I had to drink a whole cup of water after I was done because I only had an hour. And I was basically telling the students, like, know the codes for yourself. Now that especially 
you know, Medicaid billing is in the school system. Uh, to your point, yes, these universities need to start having these conversations about billing appropriately, <laughs> right? Because now, mm-hmm. before it used to just be in our medical practicum, but now it's also in the schools because the schools uh, bill Medicaid. But because of that, I tell people when they come to me, you probably already have a CAQ. CAQH account, you probably just don't know it. So to your point, Michelle, I had one because I worked at an autism center when I was in Nashville, Tennessee, and they created one to get me credentialed through the insurances. And so I remember when I was starting this journey and learning about CAQH, when I went to sign up they and I put my information in, they said I already had an account. I said, what? And so I tell people now, call CAQH. I think they're going to ask you for like your birthday, maybe your social, and they will give you the login information. And some people like, well, what about my other employer? What are, I was like, that's between you and them. But you as that's your information. Yes. So you should have access to it. Right. So. Because when I saw the login, I said, I know somebody made this because that I don't even use that as a username. <laughs> but that was that was mine. I was like, wait, yeah. who is this person? And I was like, oh, my God, that was not me. But yeah. Yeah. And you got to make sure all your stuff is in there because I'm going to go out of limb. I don't, we don't, you didn't say no names, but whoever did that for you, some people will put their information in there and well, their information for contact. Right. Yeah. Which technically they kind of should, but they should give you the login. And I'm going to say that again. So you as the person should have the login. But like when I went in mine, I saw like (laughs) the school districts that I worked for in Tennessee was still in there. And so I had to go and like clean that up. One of my actually undergrad colleagues, she posted on Facebook that she found out because she started her private practice. This insurance was sending her former employer her reimbursement checks. And I because she didn't update CAQH. I I haven't reached out to her, which I, you know, I have it. I have undiagnosed ADHD, y'all. So I I need to double back to her to find out if she took them off of her CAQH. Now, for anybody who's like, but what if I work part-time for somebody else? You can designate that, but when you go in there, it's like, there's a hierarchy. So if you're Mm -hmm. working for yourself majority of the time, or even if it's half and half, I will put you first. Mm -hmm. Also too, let me dispel this myth because I see this on the Facebook groups about, well, I don't want my current employer to find out that I'm applying for insurance. Y'all, they don't do that. They, there is <laughs> Insurance world is too big to let your current employer know that you now have your own Medicaid number. Like, it doesn't happen that way. I, I will admit I was petrified of doing that for that reason. No. So let me give you some tea, some more tea. So with Medicaid, in particular, because that's the easiest example I, I can use in this scenario. Medicaid, your number ends with a letter, right? So by the time I started my business, the letter on the end was D. And I knew that would be because A was probably <laughs> the school district that first credentialed me because I was 
a part of the first crew in Tennessee when they started billing Medicaid in 2011. So that was A. B was probably that outpatient place that I worked for for a little bit. And then C was the private practice I worked for. And then D was myself. Now, let's say we did have that perfect setup where I was still working for that private practice and then working for myself. Well, she will be billing under my Medicaid number with the C on the end. When I was doing stuff for myself, I would be billing it with the D on the end. Does that make sense? So like yes. Medicaid and they and they will keep going. And I'm laughing because one of my part-time employees, I think she had J. Like she had been down the she had worked for so many people. So just know you can still work for yourself or for people who are who just want to make a lot of side money. If you want to work for multiple clinics, you can. When they credential you, they will just have a different letter behind your name for Medicaid, right? Now, when I first started, come to find out, my previous employer did not remove me from her roster. So I remember the first time I was trying to get an authorization approved and they were like, so is it for this company or is it for this company? I was like, it's for here to speak. <laughs> please make sure uh, the other one is off my name. Like, please take the other one off my name. And that only happened maybe like once or twice and didn't happen again. So because to my other point, even when you lose employees, you need to call the insurance and say they are no longer working for me. So that's if, still, if we, that's still a space. Does that make sense? Yes. If we're in CAQH and we go in and update that, does that matriculate back to the insurance company? Not to Medicaid. Only to only okay. to the insurances that... The private insurances. Mm-hmm. That, that yeah. Yes. And you know because- what? I've let my CAQH lapse and I'm hoping United Healthcare will get the picture, but I'm probably still going to call them just to double check because I still get the like monthly newsletters. That's how I know... I'm like, oh, I need to call them because <laughs> I'm still getting the provider, you know, monthly newsletters. Yes. But but it's just it's just good to call and or contact your rep for that insurance to let them know that, you know, you want to end the contract. I know I did it for Blue Cross Blue Shield and that was my biggest one because I, I know so many colleagues back in Atlanta who want to get on that panel and they keep saying, you know, they have too That's many cool. in that area. So I, that was my, that was my main one. So the other ones, that's why I'm dragging my feet because not everybody's trying to run to Aetna and United Healthcare because I'll give you some OT. When you learn about deductibles, it will open your mind. So if people have high deductibles, they're going to end up being private pay because it is going to take them a very long time to reach their deductible. So insurance they don't start paying anything, whether it's a small percentage or a bigger percentage or 100%. They don't, insurances don't pay 100% until a person has met their deductible and they're out of pocket. When they hit the deductible, whatever percentage, it could be 80%, it could be 30%, that's when the insurances will start paying. So if you get a kiddo, and that's why a lot of people probably don't do United and because I've seen some high deductibles. If you get a kiddo with a $10,000 deductible, you and all they got is speech, they don't have like any other medical conditions, it's going to be really hard. I told this dad once and he told me, he was like, you've explained insurance better than the HR at my job. 
I told dad, I said, yeah, I said, I said, take everyone to the doctor. Everyone, take them all, take them all. Take everyone to the doctor because that helps your deductible, right? So Mm -hmm. the way it works is whatever you spend or let's say giving your plan, you only pay what, $20 for your PCP, whatever that amount is, let's say your, your doctor's visit is the allowable amount is $200 and you only pay 20. Well, that 180 goes toward your deductible. But if you get these parents and let's just be honest, low income parents don't always take their, their kiddos to the doctor. That's how you get or even I'm gonna say black people. Can I just go out and say black people sometimes? We just we just go when we have to go. But after especially after they do the, those yearly wellness checks, like after that, they don't really go unless, you know, the kid is sick and you know they probably need some antibiotics. And so when you don't go to the doctor, your deductible doesn't get touched. So then when you want to get therapy, uh you're gonna have to pay that copay for a while until that deductible gets met. And we hope to God that your deductible is not big. $6,000. Sorry, I'm thinking of ours. Ours, for my husband's insurance, it's a $6,000 deductible. See, six is good. And six is good. Oh, I know, but when I, we had to take Bear to the cardiologist. And they had to do like, mm-hmm. and, and thank the Lord, everything came back fine. He has the exact same extra heart. I get an extra heartbeat randomly for whatever reason, mm-hmm. but they had to do an echo. They had to do an EKG. They had to do the chest harness, which he sweated off running across the front yard and it scared him when it fell down his pants. And he goes, mom, it tried to take out my tally whacker. Love it. What? But it just it fell right off and he was running and it hit him in his bits and pieces. But I mean, when I got the bill for that, I was like, oh yeah. But that, that went to your deductible. So oh, oh yeah. It's, our deductible will be met very quickly this year. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so hypothetically, yes. if he had to go to a PT OT or a speech therapist, you wouldn't have to pay, or you only have to do you have any co-insurance like a 20% or 30%? Do you know? 20%. 20%. So 20%. you will only have to pay 20%. Yes. Yes. But so, that, yeah. Okay. So. I said a lot. <laughs> there's a lot. And I, have, I had a couple of thoughts. One, I've had patients ask, well, not patients, but I've had colleagues ask patients, can you tell where my head is today? I've had colleagues ask, well, can we do like it for free for individuals that like are in that gap, like Medicaid to private insurance and they don't have insurance or so here's the catch at a university level. If we, and at at certain private practices, there's laws that if you are billing, then you can't offer free services. Yes. People need to know that because I said another Facebook thing. I have seen people say, well, they're not going to hit their deductible and I'm not going to get paid. So I'm just going to charge them private pay. No. Once you have their insurance information, you have to charge their insurance. Now, I'm just a good Samaritan that I still bill their insurance because guess what, y'all? That goes toward their deductible. Now, Mm -hmm. I and I saw this on Facebook, too, and I, 
I had to refrain. Y'all don't know how many times I have refrained from making comments on these on these uh-huh. groups because I'm like, no, that just shows you don't know what you're talking about. So I know for a fact I build Blue Cross Blue Shield. I think they had HSA, and Mom paid me out of that, and she told me. Me billing insurance helped them in their other doctor's appointments. Mm-hmm. It didn't help me, <laughs> but it helped them in other doctor's appointments. Because like I said, that's still going to the deductible because the claim is going to say this is the allowable amount, patient responsibility. Yes. And yes. she had all the receipts to that, you know, if that came up later on, on how much money you spent. And most parents will ask you for that receipt <laughs> toward the end of the year, mm-hmm. for like taxes and stuff like that. But you should, once you know that they have insurance, legally, you're supposed to build their insurance. You're not supposed to just say, oh, I'm not going to get it. So I'm going to pay private pay. Also, too, I have warned people, <laughs> I said it at my ASHA uh, presentation, you know, because everyone, should I call it the lazy way? No, because that's being judgmental. Let's just say um, going the super bill way um, is cool if it's just one or two people. But if you're doing that for almost all of your kiddos, again, you're not. Wait, what do you mean the super bill way? Because when you think when you say super bill, I think the super bill PDF template that Asha has, but it just lists out all the CPT codes we yes. can access. So okay. super bill for anybody who doesn't know what that is, if you are not a provider, right, for an insurance, but the parents want to get their money back for all the money they're paying you out of pocket, you fill out a super bill to basically say these are the codes I I would use if I was billing. This is how much. Uh, the parent has paid me and they turn it into insurance and they get the money back. But I warn people during my presentation to say, if your private pay rate is a hundred dollars and their allowable amount is 70 and the insurance only reimburses them 70, you might run the risk of them coming back and asking you that to just charge them 70. You see what I'm saying? Like you, yes. you gotta be careful <laughs> when you are, which let me say for the record, I do think, I don't care what state we're in. I do think our cold reimbursements are way too low for our expertise and what we yes. do. So let me, I'm not, I'm not shaming the hundred dollar rate. Let me, let me be very clear. I think that we all definitely need to get paid way more than what we do in our state. However, you just got to be tricky because you might get that one parent when they do find out the allowable amount. And I don't know that much about Superbill because I feel like if I'm going to do a Superbill, I might as well just become a provider. It just makes more sense for me. Um, and, and that's more paperwork. <laughs> I don't want to fill out a Superbill for you to turn that. that. To me, that's extra work. But if it works for you, it works for you. But just just be careful because... What if the insurance doesn't reimburse them for that whole amount and they go off the allowable amount? So I always tell people when you make your rates, try to be not at Medicaid rate. I always tell them to do do maybe like 20 or $30 over just because when you build insurance, especially, hint, hint, always use an EMR system, makes life 
make your life easy. <laughs> you got to keep the same rate. And to your point you made earlier, Michelle, like we ethically, legally, it will be crazy if one insurance you're billing for like $80 and the other one you're doing 100 Just do like a blank, a blank one rate. rate. And that's why I always say make your rate that you bill a little bit higher than Medicaid because Blue Cross Blue Shield, y'all, spilling some tea. It's kind of like the best commercial insurances insurance out there. In my experience, they do pay over the Medicaid rate. So you don't mm-hmm. want to bill insurances the Medicaid rate and then you're losing out on some money. I don't care if it's five dollars or a dollar. You need all your you want all them coins for the allowable amount. So always <laughs> all I can see was Bear's booger coins on the kitchen counter when you said that. Wait, okay, her and I were talking. I charge Bear because I'm tired of cleaning up. This is a Bear episode. I'm tired of cleaning his boogers off the new furniture. So every time I catch the kid with his finger in his nose, he owes me a nickel. And so I had 25 cents in the first hour. So as you were talking, I was like, Bear, would I would take all those dollars. Those coins would add up quick in that coin. But okay, can we? I'm so sorry. No, it's fine. Like, but you, you know, we already don't make what we're worth. And so yeah. you want to make sure that you are billing over the allowable amount so that you're getting the full allowable amount. So that's what I uh, suggest for people to do because each insurances have different reimbursement rates. So yes. you want to make sure you're getting that entire amount. But just, and I know we have to wrap up soon, but I just want to... Michelle had a trusted person to do her credentialing, but I am so against getting somebody to do your credentialing. And maybe it's because unless you had someone like like she did, like Erin, okay, go. Go forth and be great. But I'm not going to get give my information to a credentialing company. One, they yes. charge way too much. And I always tell people, if you can fill out an apartment application, you can fill out an application to become an insurance provider. The reason why it's confusing is because some insurances, they don't have different applications for different professionals. So when you see yes. that section that says, do you have hospital rights? That's for doctors. Just skip over it. But I think we as type A SOPs, we want to fill out every single section, you know, and it's like, no, that doesn't apply. Just skip over it. They're, they're, it's not, they're not going to throw your application out. It just does not apply to us. So you just skip right on over that. But hospitaling privileges, that was the one that always threw me on the questions. Do you have hospitaling privileges? No. I was like, well, I can work in a hospital. <laughs> and then I Googled it and I was like, no, I no. do not have hospitaling privileges. And that's, it was at that moment in time that I had the sheer panic and was like, mm-hmm. Andy, but it was only because it was her and you were right. I would not, if it wasn't her, I wouldn't have gone to, yeah. if it wasn't her, I don't know. I would have opened a private practice up because I would not use yeah. uh, yeah. other company. A lot of people are scared. I mean, Michelle, you know, I was out here. I'm going to be honest. I, <laughs> because of what I went through with my dad and because of what I've seen on the Facebook groups, that's literally why I started my coaching business. Because the few people that I mentored um, in my friend group in Atlanta, they were like, you really should like start this as a business. I said, no, I'm, I'm okay. And they were like, no, you're really good. Like you really know yourself. And so for a long time, I was questioning myself. 
Yes. And I'm glad I don't remember her name, but I'll never forget. I connected with somebody on a Facebook group and then we started private messaging each other on Facebook. And when she told me she spent $2,500 to have a credentialing company credential for five insurances because it was $500 per application. And her and I keep hearing this and it just drives me up the wall. I just don't have time. I just don't have time. Y'all, when insert curse word, hit the fan. Asha and the state are going to come looking for you. They're not going to come looking for that credentialing company. They're not come going to come looking for that billing company because that claim is going to have your name on it and your mm-hmm. MPI on it. And so mm-hmm. I, I tell people, I'm like, listen, I had a biller once upon a time. I did. I'm not against having an in-house biller. What I'm against is you not knowing yeah. because that's your name. Yes. When you see that Asha leader and people getting their C's revoked and all this stuff like that, it's because their name was on those claims. So I just promote, don't be hands off. Know it for yourself as an owner. Even if it's you, yourself, and I, and you're going to delegate it to somebody else. If you're going to get a biller, you should be meeting with them every week. You should have all your passcodes. You should, you know what I'm saying? Like my in-house biller, we talked at least once a week. And she would call and say, I know you see such and such claims sitting and not paid. I'm working on that. I called them. They said such and such. It's like she went. Let's say I had five claims in my not plate in my unpaid tab. She would give me the lowdown on where she was in working on that claim. If you're not having those conversations, this is how people lose money. And so or go to jail or go to jail. And these building companies take 20 percent, even with. Me paying my in-house biller, I mean, I let her go around COVID because <laughs> when COVID hit, my part-time people weren't working. It was just me. And even my caseload shrunk a little bit. Yes, I still worked doing COVID. Did not stop. So that whole shelter in, in place, I don't even know what that looks like because I never did it. <laughs> so I think at the time before I let her go, I think she was at... Was it five hours every two weeks? Because I paid every two weeks. It, it wasn't that much because we had straightened out stuff so much. I didn't get a lot of not paid. So I said all that to say, it's almost like getting a financial advisor. You know how like with celebrities, they might take a percentage. Like with a financial advisor, they can either take a percentage or you pay them hourly. It's the same situation. Get a biller where you can pay them hourly and then if you don't have anything, guess what? You don't have to pay them because there's no work for them to do. You see what I'm saying? Like I want people to keep I want people to keep their money. Like we already, as we already discussed, certain states, the reimbursement rates are terrible. We already don't make enough for what we do. I just want you to keep it. <laughs> I just want you to keep it. That's all I'm saying. So understand the CPT codes. Understand which ones you can build together and which ones are not. And yeah, I just, that's what really just, just grinds my gears. I just really just want people to know it because there are people who are making six figures who still got a lot of outstanding claims like don't let these people out here fool you that they yes they're they have successful businesses but ask them 
all, are all their claims paid? I know that sounds a little like you meddling, but I'm just saying like you got, if you put these systems in place on the front end, then as you grow and as your business grows in revenue, then you won't have anything. Last story, because I got so many. A friend of mine, she and her classmate, I, don't know, I forgot to ask her, are they still friends? But she said that they lost $300,000 when they first got started because oh my. the biller that came highly recommended, she said, wasn't scrubbing the the claims. And I was like, scrubbing? What do you mean by scrubbing? And she was like, making sure everything's there. I was like, then, then I had other questions because this is why I tell people, ask the right questions with the, these EMR systems because the EMR system should be scrubbing it to making sure that, okay, a birth date is there, a name is there, you know, all the right components are there before you send it off. Doing it by hand, that's way too much. But anyway, I digress. But because the biller was just billing it, <laughs> they had all these not paid claims and lost like $300,000. Now they did go back and like did some corrections, but FYI y'all, a lot of these insurances have a window that you can correct and keep sending it back. And once that window is gone, they will not pay that claim. So it's so my other passion within this is don't go with the EMR system that you see a lot of times at ASHA. There's nothing wrong with them. I'm just saying shop around, ask more questions. Do they have a clearinghouse? And I have that on. I actually just made a freebie on my Instagram about that. These are the questions you should ask the EMR system when you're shopping for one. Try one out because a well-known one, which will remain nameless, they don't have a clearinghouse. And a clearinghouse is important because when you send the claim from your EMR system, it goes to a clearinghouse. They make sure everything's straight and they process it and they send it to the insurance. And then they send it back through the clearinghouse and that's how... When you open up the EMR on the billing side, it'll tell you how much you got paid for that claim. Well, this particular one, they don't have their own clearinghouse. So a friend of mine who uses this software had to go and make his own account for a clearinghouse. And I was like, oh, my God, you shouldn't have to do that. That should be kind of part of the EMR. So it's yes. yeah. So I recently, on. if y'all, if anybody's interested, find me on Instagram, Sassy SLP, literally no special spelling is literally Sassy SLP. And I made a freebie called like, what questions you should ask an EMR, like shop around. Don't, don't just go off the ones that pay all the big bucks to be on Ash's advertising. Like, make sure, I mean, pay, you know, go check them out too. I, I have nothing against them. I just don't want people to feel like you have to do, you, it's almost like a commercial. Like, you see commercials so many times, it's like, I want that one because you see it a lot. But you need to, like, dig down and ask more questions. My sons have picked out their own cars because of the commercials that pop up on their tablets when they're playing. So whatever is currently being advertised on What's that little imposter game with the little astronaut guy that goes through and they like, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's a cheesy li little game. Oh, it's gone. Whatever. I agree. That's going to drive me crazy because you know how many times I've they've studied YouTube to figure out how to beat this game. Yeah. Okay. Anywho, how, what is your website? Oh, my website is here to speak academy.com. So H E A R T O. The word speak in academy. 
www.thecoachesdelight.com. And so you will find all my courses there. You can sign up to speak with me, have a coaching call. But yes, y'all, just let's be better. Let's just be better. Yes, Lauren, I love you. Like this was, oh my God, come back. Come back and do another one. Can Can you come back and do like a part two on like, okay, you're in it and you've made bad choices and here's the recovery process? Yes. Yes. Also, I made a note to get you to come talk to the students in the spring semester. So, like, you saw me like writing, and yeah, I was like, "Okay, right. so I was like, oh, that's gonna be yeah. <laughs> well." My my agenda only goes through to December. Okay. So I have you written down for the beginning of December. I was like, that way I can get her to come for the spring semester. So before they go out for their summer clinical, like out, yeah. like out, like yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you. Okay, I feel like a schmuck because I have to go because yeah. I have eight minutes. Yeah, I was looking at Thomas. Oh no, <laughs> no. folks, this is told, this is she weird. Told me her heart stopped, and I looked up and I was like, "Oh, let me know his story." <laughs> okay, we we have to get in. Who, if somebody wants has love money, who and where can they they donate it to? So I. There's an organization called Student Without Mothers. I haven't gotten involved with them, but just reading the title kind of uh, struck me because my mother passed away the summer before my senior year in high school. And so I've I've been following them and I have always had it, like I have a long to do this, in the back of my head to connect with them and and give to their organization. But yes, if you look, especially on Instagram, you look for students without mothers, it's it's literally for kiddos who are without a mother, whether they have passed away or I, I think that's the only reason, but it might be other reasons. But yes, student without mothers, that would be something that is near and dear to my heart. So got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Found them. Thank you for being you. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Okay. All right. Okay. Feeding Matters guides system-wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So what is this alliance? The alliance is an open access collaborative community focused on achieving strategic goals within three focus areas, education, advocacy, and research. So who is the Alliance? It's you. The Alliance is open to any person passionate about improving care for children with a pediatric feeding disorder. To date, 187 professionals, caregivers, and partners have joined the Alliance. You can join today by visiting the Feeding Matters website at www.feedingmatters.org. Click on PFD Alliance tab and sign up today. Change is possible when we work together. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies.